You know, as Brother Osfeld was mentioning why he, uh, I was going to be preaching tonight, you know, and he was talking about Brother Randy, the one thing I noticed was that Brother Randy did not volunteer himself. I don't. But, uh, no, I am thankful for the opportunity. And, you know, before I was coming to church, I was getting ready, and there's sometimes you get to a stage of life where you think some things are past. Uh, maybe you're, you're past that stage of life. Uh, for example, I'm getting ready, and I notice I have two big zits on my face. And I think, you know, shouldn't I be past this? I'm in my 30s. I, I shouldn't be getting zits. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm just trying to, uh, uh, you know, get in there and uh, relate with the teens a little bit more closely. I don't know. That's the best I could come up with. But uh, certainly I am grateful and thankful for the opportunity. And I know Brother Osfeld, he already thanked me, but I told him he should probably wait till after church till he thanks me. But hopefully he's still grateful that he asked when we're all uh, done here tonight. But I, again, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I uh, certainly don't ever want to take the opportunities I get to preach for granted. I always want to uh, be mindful of the opportunity that I have. And I, again, I am grateful for them. But before we get started, let's go ahead and I'll just open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, and Lord, we are grateful for your many blessings, and we're grateful that uh, we can be in your house tonight. And Lord, I pray that this would that this time would be profitable. And Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, your will would be done, and Lord, you would help me to communicate what uh, I believe you've communicated to me. And Lord, I just thank you for all you do. I thank you for the opportunity. In your name I pray. Well, before we get started, I'm going to ask you, I guess, a rhetorical question, one uh, you're going to know the answer to, but I, I just want you to think about this. Have you ever noticed that people who get their worldview from the Bible usually disagree with people that get their worldview from the world? And that's a pretty rhetorical question. You know the answer. Obviously, yes, uh, often there is disagreement there. You know, and I, I thought about... You know, just a, a few examples to think about uh, would simply, we could look at the world's view of evolution versus what we would believe from the Bible, and that's that God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. We would disagree on that, obviously. Um, I, I think about the um, topic of homosexuality or transgender. Uh, because I get my worldview from the Bible it would differ from that of people in the world. I think about my uh, view on marriage and staying pure before one gets married. Uh, the world obviously would have a different viewpoint in that. Uh, they would have a viewpoint of, I mean, what are they teaching now? They're not teaching abstinence, are they? They're teaching safety, if you will. My viewpoint and their viewpoint would not align. It would be different. I, I think of um, the sanctity of life and abortion. My viewpoint would not agree with their viewpoint, and, and I stopped and I thought, you know, really that shouldn't surprise me too much. I mean, because we're talking about the world and the Bible. We're talking about people that simply they reject this as truth, and they reject God, and a lot of times they may even tie to reject the existence of God. And so if you reject the Bible as authority, and you reject God as authority in your life, 
well, for the most part, you're going to do what? What is right in your own eyes. And you're going to develop probably worldviews that, again, the world would say is okay. You know, we could even go, I thought about this too, that the world would say certain things are okay after you reach a certain age. You know, the one I I thought of that I think is very damaging um, would be that of pornography. You know, I'm at an age that I, by the world standards, could partake in that. But I think about what Jesus said, and obviously uh, his idea, not his idea, but what he said in his word was that if I even look at a woman and lust after her, I've committed adultery already. You know, I was thinking about a guy I used to work with, and, and his wife, he was married, and his wife, I mean, he basically said that his wife was like of the opinion, well, he can look, but he can't touch. And we probably heard that mentality before in the world, and I thought, you know, again, it shouldn't surprise us that our worldview and our ideas on things would be different of that of the world. You know, when we do have a different worldview, I want us to understand, too, that the things that we believe and the things that we think on and we accept as truth, they generally affect our actions, don't they? I mean, if I believe this to be true and I believe this to be authority in my life, it should affect how I do certain things, how I live. Again, I'm not too surprised that, um, obviously, that a Christian or someone that would hold to the truths of God wor- God's word would hopefully uh, try to have God as their authority in their life would be different of that of an individual that's lost, that doesn't know the Lord and rejects his word, rejects the truth of it, and rejects the authority of it. Then I thought, what, what about in churches, though? What about in churches? What about the church that I would say this, that they have adopted more of a worldly view and rejected God's view in the Bible? The same thing has happened. They've rejected God's word as authority. Well, do some of those churches exist? Well, we could stop and think about even some of the topics we we looked at just a while ago. I mean, it wasn't long that... I, I remember reading a topic or an article about a gay pastor. And then I see another one about a lesbian pastor. And then I see another one about a transgender pastor, the first transgender pastor. And obviously, I would look at that church and say their viewpoint is not one of a biblical viewpoint. They have rejected the authority of God's word, and they have accepted a more world viewpoint. And it's affected their actions by who they've called to be their pastor. Well, I thought of other things, too. I mean, obviously, we could say that there are churches that have adopted more of a a worldly viewpoint, and that has affected, I would say, how they do certain things. No, really, I I thought even about, um, I don't want to say anything you didn't say, Brother Osfeld, but when you were speaking of, of how many churches have adopted programs and things of that nature, that have taken the place of the preaching of God's word. You know, I think what can happen, um, really as I was thinking about this as a pastor, if I was a pastor, you know, one of the things that we could allow to creep in is this type of viewpoint, and that is we could look at the success of our church being totally related to the number of people we have. 
Now, I understand as a pastor, I understand me as a youth pastor, I want to see growth. You know what I think about in the bulletin, do we not have in there, I think every bulletin says uh, pray for church growth. That's a good thing. We want to see people saved. We want to reach our community. We want to see people grow in their relationship with Christ. But I know even as a youth pastor, sometimes you can allow that mentality of numbers to be the idea of that's the measure of success. You know, we're getting ready to go to the youth conference. You know, we're going to take seven. But you know what? I'm going to be there, and there's going to be guys that I went to school with, and they're going to have 20, 30, 50 teens. And if I allowed that viewpoint of numbers to hinder my thinking, I could begin to bring in a more worldly viewpoint of just bringing people in. And again, no longer about the preaching of God's word. So what kind of examples? I mean, I, I don't want to get too far into it, and, and, but, I mean, I've seen churches that more or less look nothing much different than a nightclub. And I saw a teen activity <laughs> that they had waiters dressed up, and it looked like nothing more than a nightclub. They had their little trays, and even the drinks appeared almost like alcoholic drinks. And I thought, what? in the world are you doing but I think that again they've allowed the world to influence their thinking and it has affected their actions you know I was looking at the lineup (laughs) again some of this is not because I, I involve myself in all these things but you just happen to come across them from time to time and there was a church, and they're doing some deal that has to do with the movies. I have no idea. It was called at the movies. But I saw their opening lineup of songs, and I don't know what a couple of them were. I guess some kind of worship song, but one of them was The Eye of the Tiger. I mean, the only reason I know that is because of Rocky, but um, I'm just thinking, that's in a church setting. And I think that we could agree that there are those that would claim to be, uh, again, and I'm not here to question try to doubt their salvation, things like that. That's not the point. I'm just saying there are people that would claim the name of God that I think have rejected his reign, they've rejected his word as authority, and they've gone to the world to adopt ideas and how to bring people in. They've adopted more of a worldly mentality. But then I thought about me. You know, when I look at both of these groups, you know what I think is one of the common denominators is that, one, they've got their eyes fixed on the wrong thing, and then, two, they've rejected God's word. They've rejected God as an authority in their life. Then I thought, what about myself? What about me? Are there times when I allow a worldly influence or system or way of thought to influence how I do things and that as a result of that I reject God's reign in my life I reject his word as authority in my life do I become desensitized to his word are there times when that could be true you know, because I don't believe I'm, I mean, I believe I'm in a good church. If I thought this was a church that was more about worldly ideas and bringing in the world and all those things, I wouldn't be here. I'm in a good church. I get good preaching. But are there times when I can allow the world to do more influence in my thinking 
and maybe not even in a thought, I, I'm thinking this way, but in my action, I could reject this as authority in my life. Do I hear preaching, but I've already got my mind made up because this is how the world does it, maybe, that this is the way I'm going to do it. And I reject the authority from God's word. As I thought about all that, I'd ask you to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. I want to look at the children of Israel. And we're going to look at how, simply put, I mean, they looked, they got their eyes fixated on the wrong thing. And as a result, they rejected God and his reign in their lives. 1 Samuel chapter 8. I want us to look at verse number one. It says, And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel under Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. You know, one of the first things we find here is simply that the children of Israel have come to Samuel, and they are giving a petition to him, and that petition or that request is for them to have a king. You know, they did have at least some legitimate concern here, and that was with Samuel's sons. It says that, in verse 3, his sons walked not in his ways. They turned aside after lucre. They took bribes, and they perverted judgment. So we, we can look at that and say, you know, their sons, are, Samuel's sons, obviously, were not good judges. They were not good leaders. They took bribes. They perverted judgment. You could buy them off, if you will. So they had a concern, but the problem is when this concern arose, when this issue began to arise in their life. They became, became, I guess, maybe discontent with the situation and what was going on. And instead of going to Samuel and going to the Lord and trying to address this issue, maybe the way that God would have them to address it, instead, they asked for a king. Well, I want us to stop and think about that real quick. Did the children of Israel have leadership? They did, right? If they didn't have leadership, who would they have even gone to to ask for a king, correct? Have they had leadership in the past? Yes, they've had, obviously, Moses. They've had Joshua. We could look in uh, the book of Judges, and we could see the different judges that God raised up. 
And right now we could say, obviously, Samuel was in authority in Israel. Now, well, think about this, because, again, we're looking more at, uh, we're not going to get into politics, but um, we think about this political system. Did they have law in order? Were they under the law at this point, or at this time? Were there consequences for disobeying that law? Yeah, so there was a law, there was order already set up. It's not as if this was a system of anarchy, if you will, and all of a sudden we need a king because this is anarchy. No, they decided they needed a king, but I want us to think about why they thought they needed a king. Well, well, let's look and see why. Well, we first, we understand there was an issue with his sons, and that needed to be dealt with, yet they, I think got their eyes fixed on the wrong thing. Why do I say that? Because uh, look at verse number 5. It says, And said unto him, Behold, thou art old. Well, that was another complaint. Samuel, you're old. Maybe you're senile. Maybe that's what they thought. But you're getting older. We need some new young leadership. I don't know. But it also says, Thy sons walketh not in thy ways. That was true. They needed to be dealt with. Understand that. But it says, Now make us a king to judge us like what? All the nations was the children of Israel supposed to be like all the nations was God's relationship or is God's relationship with the children of Israel the same as it is with all the nations no there should have been obviously uh, a different relationship and there was a different relationship but they said look they got discontent with what was going on They're saying, Samuel, you're old, your sons, they walk not in your ways, and here's what happened. They didn't go to Samuel, and they didn't go to the Lord to say, what can we do to fix this, Lord? Could you raise up new leadership? Whatever the case may be. Instead, they said, hey, we want a king, why? To judge us like like who? All the nations. We want to be like all the nations. So what were their eyes fixated on? It wasn't about, they weren't fixated on God and what God maybe could do Um, to take care of this situation. Instead, it was, let's look out here and see what everybody else is doing, and that's what we want to do. Look also at um, verse number 20. I mean, and we'll get here, but it says that basically, at the end of verse 19, it says, Nay, but we will have a king over us. Again, here's why. That we also may be like all the nations... There it is again. We've been looking at the other nations. That's what our eyes are fixated on. That's what we've determined is the best route for us. We want to be like everybody else. And also said that, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. I mean, they had their reasons for wanting a king. But I want us to think how silly that kind of sounds. A king that can judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Again, they already had leadership. I understand that maybe some of that leadership needed to be taken care of, and God could have done that. But they looked to the world and decided, we need a king. But not only that, they said, we want this king to go out and fight our battles. Now, you say, well, why does that sound silly? Well, think about the battles that God had already won for the children of Israel at this point. And I don't know about you, but there are several battles that I look at that they could only look and say, God did it. 
And I don't know about you, but if I'm, if I'm getting ready to go into war and if my option is, oh, we can have a king go out before us and fight our battle, or if I can have the Lord God go out and fight my battle, who do you think I'm going to choose? Well, obviously the Lord God. Well, I mean, think of some of those uh, different uh, battles. We could talk about the Battle of Jericho. Yeah, march around this wall. Eventually, you know, obviously it's going to come tumbling down. They're going to get that victory. Uh, think about Gideon with 300 men. And all they did was, what, break some pitchers and shout? And what happened? They defeated that army. Well, God defeated that army. I mean, we could talk about other battles that God obviously won, but they're saying, you know what, no, we want a king to be like all the other nations. We want to be like everybody else, and we want our king to go out and to fight our battles. They had their reasoning, and I think sometimes we can do the same thing in our own lives. We can reason things away, but not really give attention to our actual reasons as to why we're not going to obey the word of God. So we, we see again that they looked to the other nations, they wanted to adopt that type of system, they had their reasons, but I, I want to think about the results of them doing this, because God allowed them to have their king. But you know what, when we look at this, God said, hey, Give them their king, Samuel, but I want you to tell them the kind of king they're going to have. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10. It says, And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to air his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. Does that sound like a good trade-off to have a king? To be like everybody else? To adopt this world system? God is letting them know just exactly what's going to happen as a result of them or results of them asking for this king. And again, talking about taking their land, taking their sons, taking their daughters, uh, taxes and things of that nature that you're going to be giving up to this king just so you can be like all the other nations. So Samuel lays all this out, and I think I want us to look what I would consider to be the most severe consequence, and that is in verse 18. It says, And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. What does it say? And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Well, that would be a... That doesn't seem like a very good exchange. You're going to get a king like you want, 
But here's what's going to come along with that king. Here are the consequences that are going to come as a result of you having a king. But not only is he going to take all these things from you, I want you to understand it's going to have an effect on our relationship. It's going to have an effect on their relationship with the Lord. And he says, hey, you're going to cry out one day because the king you have chosen, it says, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. I'm just thinking again about Samuel. And again, he's obviously the man of God. He's delivering this. You know, when they came to Samuel, Samuel was a little bit hurt, wasn't he? says, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. I was thinking about Samuel, and here he is. He's displeased. The people are asking for a king. He understands that that's not, that was not God's plan. That was not his design. And what did the Lord say to Samuel? The Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they said unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. You know, another result of them asking for this king is that by asking for this king, they are rejecting God's rule and reign in their lives. Now, think about Samuel. Here he is. He's the man of God. He's given him all these things, and he is upset. But the Lord is letting Samuel know, hey, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me that I should not reign over them. You know, I think that is good sometimes for pastors to take and consider uh, for me as well. When sometimes you could get up there and you could preach and you could deliver the word of God. And maybe you think you would have saw a better result to stop and understand just like this. They're not rejecting me necessarily. If I'm preaching the word of God, they're rejecting the word of God. They're rejecting his reign in their life. But I think about this in verse 19, the people. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. But think about that. Whose words did Samuel deliver to them? Was it Samuel's words? I mean, did he come up with these consequences? It wasn't Samuel's words. Remember the Lord said, or in verse 10 it says, And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people. So when it says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, we have to stop and consider really, again, it's not that they're refusing to obey Samuel, they're refusing to obey the voice of God. Because again, these are the words of the Lord, and they refused. You know, and I look at that and they say, nay, but we'll have a king over us. Almost read that for me personally and almost, as they said it, almost in disbelief. They hear all these consequences, they're all laid out, and they say, nah, they refuse to obey. We're going to have our king. Part of me thinks I go back to the fact that they've already told Samuel he's old. Maybe they thought, oh, again, Samuel, you're old. Nah, we're going to have our king. Uh, Yeah, you told us all these things that are going to happen, but you know what? We're going to be like all the other nations. We're going to have our king. He's going to go out and fight our battles. So I stopped and I asked myself, do I ever act the same way as the children of Israel acted in this passage? 
And if I'm honest with myself, I have to say yes. There are times I probably do act this way. There are times when I, I probably do reject God's authority in my life. There are times I may refuse to obey his word. And there are times when I do not allow him to have his proper place of reign in my life. You know what? Sometimes it boils down to what? Because my eyes are not fixated on his word. They're fixated on the world and what the world's doing. And I'm allowing that to be an influence in my life. I thought, how, how can this happen in one's life? Well, one of the things I thought of, or a few of the things I thought of are, are this, just thinking about the children of Israel. First, we could be unhappy in our current situation or trying to do things God's way. We could become unhappy in that. Well, think about, were they happy with God's system at this point? No, they wanted something different. Uh, again, were there some issues? Well, yes, there were some issues with his sons. I understand that. But instead of going to the Lord and trying to get that problem solved, they looked to the world. So I thought, you know, when this happens in my life, sometimes what can happen is I can become unhappy or discontent with God's way of doing things that I began to get my focus and my eyes fixated on the world. You know what? I, I think about this. Uh, again, when I allow my eyes to begin to focus on the world, you know, my eyes, just like my thinking, can affect my actions. A couple examples. Achan. What did he say? I saw and I coveted and I took. Now, my eyes can affect my actions if I allow them to. I think about David and Bathsheba, what he saw her. And he allowed that to affect his actions and his decision making. If I allow my eyes to get off God and his word and the authority of it, and they begin to focus on this world and what the world is doing, I can allow that to affect my actions. And that action could be simply this, that I'm rejecting God's reign in my life and his authority from his word. You know what? The next thing I find that I probably do when that takes place in my life, I begin to reason or justify why this is a good idea in my life. The children of Israel, again, they had their reasons. They had their justification as to why this was a good idea. They were stubborn, if you will, in that their minds were made up. Nope, we're going to have our king. They refuse to obey the voice of the Lord. I thought, is there times in my life when I can come and the man of God can preach the word of God and I can reject that authority and I can have every reason why? And you know what? If I was to go back and get a bird's eye view, just like of the children of Israel, we could go, boy, that just sounds foolish when I would actually look at my reasoning. Oh, we want a king to go out before us and fight our battles. What? That makes more sense than allowing God to fight your battles? You know, the other thing I think I can do is when this begins to happen in my life, I can just simply choose to ignore the consequences. 
choose to ignore the consequences and reject God and his word. Again, I, I'm thinking about Samuel as the man of God. He's given the word of God. And I was just putting myself, okay, I'm under the preaching of God's word from the man of God. He's giving the word. It is the truth of God's word. And he could be presenting it to me, but I could have, again, my focus on something different, what the world's doing. I could reason why that makes sense to me. And by doing that, I could also hear him. He could get up. He could preach God's word. He could tell me from authority why I'm wrong and why I need to get those things correctly. And I could reject again and refuse to hear that and obey the words of God. And by doing so, I can choose to ignore the consequences. Because again, as a child of God, if I reject God's reign in my life, if I refuse to hear what he has to say, and I refuse the authority from God's word, you can believe there's going to be consequences for that. You know, and again, I, I would look at, I don't know, I couldn't give you a list exactly like what Samuel had for the children of Israel, but I think one of the big ones, again, I go back to the fact that it obviously had an effect on their relationship with God. And the same would be true in my life. If I am rejecting his word, if I'm rejecting his reign in my life, that is going to affect my relationship with him. It's not going to be what it needs to be. I think what was coming to my mind is that if I allowed myself to get into this habit my mind and my focus always being on the world and what it's doing, and that's what I'm adopting as my way, I can become desensitized to the word of God. I can reject and I can refuse to hear. And really, simply, the question I would just have for us tonight, and what I, have, what I had for myself was simply this, who am I allowing to rule and reign in my life? Who am I allowing to have authority in my life? Am I allowing the word of God to have authority in my life? And whatever the answer to that is, whether it would be the world or whether it would be God and his word, that's going to affect my actions. Tonight, simply, as I think about the children of Israel, I think about, again, their rejection of God and his reign in their life. I just had to simply stop and think, not just consider, sure, the world rejects God's word, and that makes sense. And maybe there are some places that would, uh, again, call themselves churches that have rejected the authority of God's word and done things their own way. But again, on a more personal level, level I've had to stop and say, what about me? What are the areas that I've heard the truth of God's word, but yet I've refused to obey, and by refusing to obey, I've rejected God's reign in my life? could simply put it this way, who reigns? Tonight in your life, who reigns? Who has the authority? God in his word? or yourself in the world. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, and Lord, I do thank you for your many blessings, and Lord, I do thank you for 
the truth of your word. And Lord, I know definitely time of reflection in my own life to think, uh, Lord, are there times when I come to your house and Lord could even just go through the motions or maybe have my eyes fixated on something that is not biblical, is not true, and allow that to affect my thinking and my actions. And by doing so, Lord, are there times where I hear your word preached, but yet reject and refuse to obey? Lord, I just ask that we would take time to think truly who does reign in our life? Lord, where are we getting our worldview? Lord, I just thank you for all you do. Pray that you bless this time. In your name I pray. Amen. At this time, we're just going to.